Well, I want to welcome you all tonight. I appreciate you coming out in the rain. We're honored to have Mike Gillum tonight as our speaker. Mike is a former world-class athlete, Hall of Fame inductee, national champion, and Division I coach. And he's going to talk and deliver an exciting and educational, inspiring message to all of us. His background is mainly working with athletes and their parents to help athletes get the most out of the God-given gifts they've given them and to help them find the right school, go through the recruiting process. That's his gift, but he also has just the gift of motivating people and encouraging people no matter what you're going through. So we are looking forward to what Mike has to say. And I'm going to pray for Mike and then welcome you to the podium. Father, we just thank you for Mike and Linda, Lord, and the heart that they have for you. And Father, we just thank you that he's using the gifts you've given him as an athlete and former athlete to just share words of hope and encouragement in all sectors of life, not only in athletics, but in personal relationships and family relationships and business relationships. Father, we just thank you for his obedience and we just look forward to him leaving us nuggets of wisdom that we can carry with us, words of encouragement that we can carry with us. We ask that you speak through him in a mighty way and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Mike, welcome to the podium. Thank you very much. Well, good evening, how's everybody doing? Uh, if you're listening to this on podcast, this room is packed. You would be standing room only if you were here. Um, anyhow, thank you very much for that intro, John. I am honored to be here. Uh, very, very excited. And to get started, um, I would like to take 60 seconds. And for everyone in here to take a really deep breath, close our eyes, and pray, meditate, visualize. Just get your heart prepared. Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Amen. So the Bible tells us there are three things that Jesus is doing right now. Uh, number one, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Number two, he's interceding on our behalf. And number three, he is building our heavenly home. We're also told in the Bible that there are secrets the Lord God has not revealed to us. This is in Deuteronomy 29, 29. And... I wish I could stand up here and give answers to the challenges that you are facing um, in your personal journeys with your sons and daughters or grandchildren. Um, I don't have the answers, but I know who does, and we're going to talk a lot about him. So God speaks to us four different ways, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and through other people. And I'm going to address all four of those in our time together here this evening. So I've been very blessed. I've got a beautiful wife, Linda. Uh, we have five amazing children. Um, our sons are the bookends. Uh, they're 30 years old and 14. And then we have a 28-year-old daughter, a 24-year-old daughter. And our youngest son is actually a twin to his sister. So we have 14-year-old twins, 24, 28, and 30. We also have two amazing in-laws, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And uh, within the last two years, we have been blessed with four amazing grandchildren, mm -hmm. three grandsons and a granddaughter. Uh, our, 
there's crying or laughter in our environment anytime, any day. There's, it's just awesome. It's such a great experience. So very, very cool. Um, and as John mentioned earlier in, in, uh, in his introduction, um, I started an organization back in 1998 called Opportunities Through Athletics Incorporated. I go by OI for short, kappa O lowercase i, which actually tells an amazing story. Um, and I love helping um, families, especially young adults, um, high school student athletes, who are about to approach a major intersection they've never seen before and they've never been taught how to cross it. It's very dangerous. Um, I believe in my heart we make three major decisions in our life. Number one, your belief in Christ. Number two, whom you marry. And number three, where you attend college. And you can go home and dwell on those three ideas and think, are there any more important decisions you make in your life? I challenge you, I don't think you'll come up with something. And if you say children, well, that comes after marriage, right? So we have to keep the proper order here. Um, so I really believe that helping someone transition from high school to the next st step in their journey, if, if college is in the plans, if they want to continue athletically, is a very, very, very important decision and one that does require time and assistance. Unfortunately, we do not teach recruiting class in high school. Um, there's just a lot of myths in the bleachers. You know, hey, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Hey, don't do anything. Just wait for them to show up. Um, and sometimes that works if you happen to be blessed with freak of nature size and athleticism or abilities. But there's the other 99%, they need some direction. And as John mentioned, um, being a former college athlete and Division I coach, um, I love the old saying, to know the road ahead of you, ask those coming back. That's exactly why I do what I do. I've been where they are. I understand the challenges, the frustrations, the anxiety, and I know what the road ahead looks like. So I've come back, and isn't this what Jesus did? He came back. Emmanuel, God with us. He came back. He said, it got messed up in the garden, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to fix it. And boy, did he fix it. And he's still fixing it, and he's going to keep fixing it, and I can't wait to get to the next garden. We're in a foreign land right now. We're not home, but that's where we're headed. So I love working with these kids. I've been very fortunate. I work with all sports, male and female. Um, I've helped kids, to, you know, power five schools, division one, division two, II, division three, NAI, JUCO, community colleges. Uh, it doesn't matter the sport. The recruiting process is what's very similar. It doesn't matter your background. It's about your expertise in the recruiting process. And that's what I bring to the table. But I will tell you how that all began. It's very interesting. This meeting is called POP, right? Parents of Prodigals. Well, you're looking at someone who is a SOP. That's an S-O-P-P, -P, son of a parent prodigal. I'm going to share my journey, and I will tell you beforehand. It <laughs> gets a little emotional. But I will tell you that this journey and everything that I experienced and I grew up and I went through has created an amazing life. And that's my prayer, my wish for you, whatever you're going through right now. You're in the storm right now. It's hard to see when's this going to end, where's this going, why us, why me? We've prayed, we've tried, we, we just, it's not working. Hang in there, hang in there. So my dad, um, I love my dad, he passed away a couple. A couple of years ago, but when I grew up, um, you know, I tell kids I work with this all the time. Your parents can only give you what they were given. And sometimes as a parent, you're not given a lot. Maybe your parents didn't raise you right, or you came from a single parent dwelling. 
you know, or very socioeconomically challenged environment. And so you didn't have a lot of direction or leadership or visualization. You, you just had to figure it out on your own. And uh, that was my dad's story. He didn't have a father. And when you're young and you don't understand the dynamics and the importance and the value of that, um, it, it doesn't affect you. It doesn't pierce your heart. You don't dwell on it. Um, you just live as a child, as a kid, and you watch your parents do what they do, and you think this is normal. This is how you're raised. This is how life goes. Um, unfortunately, he just, um, I think, lack of leadership and direction, um, he didn't make a lot of good decisions. And so when I was in the, the realm of middle school, a little bit before middle school, all the way through my junior year in college, he went wayward. He was lost. You know, prodigal means waste. And to have a parent who was a prodigal, who chose to waste potential relationships with me and my brothers, uh, a strong marriage, um, you know, he was very depressed. Uh, I don't know why. I, I you know, uh, depression is a true, real illness. It's, it's, uh, it's still a bit of a mystery. Um, but it led him to some very, very dark places. Um, you know, I experienced, you know, It's all good. It really is. It's just, I have to take a minute. But I experienced, you know, attempted suicides, um, physical abuse, DUIs, total cars. Lost jobs, lost careers. I understand where you are. I understand very clearly. And as you're in it, you're just scared. You don't know. And when you're young, you can't fix it. You don't, you don't know what to do. Even if you're older, as a parent, you know? You give advice, you give rules, you give boundaries, right? You, you try to do everything you're taught or told or read or hear. Some of it works, some of it sticks, some of it just falls off like raindrops. You know, you just do the best you can. Um, my dad loved alcohol, smoked, smoked so much he only had one lung, they had to remove one, and continued to smoke, wow, wow, which I am amazed at, and he was a good athlete, I'm like, I don't know how, <laughs> you can only get half the oxygen in there, you know, um, and it was tragic, I could wake up in the middle of the night to shrieking screams of physical violence, scared to death, if your son's ever come home, not in the right state of mind, scared to death. What's he going to do? Going crazy, throwing stuff, breaking stuff, crashing stuff. This is the world we live in, the broken, fallen world. Whereas humans, this happens to many across North America and worldwide, are experiencing very similar scenarios. And I wish all families, and, and this is the mission field, understood who their Heavenly Father was and who Jesus is and what he did. And that he is the answer. I jokingly tell kids when I go to FCA on Friday mornings, my wife and I have been leading FCA for the last 17 years. And uh, I'll say, anybody have a test today? Who's got a big test? And they'll raise their hand. I go, oh, I got a math test. I got an English test. I got this test. I got that test. I go, okay, well, the, the, the right answer for every question is Jesus. Just write Jesus. Now, go, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, I'm joking. But he is the answer to everything, right? 
you know, and I wish, you know, I, I want some kids just to do it once, just for fun, you know, just, just for the teacher to go, what is this answer, you know, he is the answer, yeah, I just want the kid to say that back to the teacher, uh, so anyhow, um, so I'm a sop, I'm the son of a prodigal parent, and, um, you know, it, it went on for years, um, even got to the point where my father was institutionalized, heavily medicated, sedated, we're, we're going to a place and children aren't up, up, allowed on that floor, can't go behind that door. I'm young. I don't know what's going on. I know my mom's upset. There's tears. There's anger. It's all the frustration. And we're just tag-alongs, right? We're, we're just around for the journey and hearing it and watching it and seeing it. Crazy. Just crazy. So the reason I say I'm so blessed and so fortunate and so glad that God unfolded this journey the way he did is because everything I experienced through my dad helped me to become better, period, right? I understood the value of education more. I took my grades serious. I developed a really good work ethic, multiple paper outs, cutting lawns. I loved to work. I loved to get dirty. I loved to sweat, right? And I saw what wasn't working, and I heard the tension, the fights, and the arguments, and the destruction. And that can't be the way life is. That can't be why we're here. That can't be the direction we're supposed to go. And that was God working in my heart, and I didn't even know it. I didn't accept Jesus tell us in seventh grade in confirmation class, right? And so back then, before, you know, I, I just was watching this unfold, didn't even realize that God was using someone else. He speaks to us, remember, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and through other people. He was using my dad to get to me. And he did. So I love sports, played it all. I have a brother who, at the age of 16, became a world champion, 16, competing in South Africa, Australia, all over North America. And for my whole life, I've been Mark's brother. My name is Mike. <laughs> but when you're in the shadows and the footsteps of a world champion, you become that person's name's brother. So I'm Mark's brother. And even to this day, people who don't even know I have a brother named Mark, they'll call me Mark. I'm like, what? This is crazy, you know? I am Mike, you know? It's an honor, actually. But I followed his footsteps. We grew up in a sport called trampoline and tumbling. It's a bit of a derivative of gymnastics. It's now an Olympic sport. Um, but we did that all the way through high school, and we realized that college was going to be hard financially, very hard financially, for, for three kids at the same age, at the same time going to school. Uh, so we converted to the sport of gymnastics in hopes of earning a college scholarship. That was the goal. Now, you have to start that sport at a very young age to become very good, like coming out of the womb that early. I mean, that's, that sport demands like lifetime training. There, there's no seasonal, you know, success here. This is a lifetime commitment. So we were, you know, you know, 15, 16 converting to a sport that we need to start when we were two or three. But because we did trampoline and tumbling, we became two event specialists, floor and vault. They were very similar to trampoline and tumbling. So we could take a little bit of that talent and plug it into those two events. And that's how he got recruited. Uh, he ended up going to Kent State University, becoming an All-American. Uh, phenomenal, you know, record setter there, unbelievable. And my turn came up, I didn't get recruited by anybody. I had one chance my senior year in high school to compete at our state championship. Five minutes before the meet began, it was 12.55, the meet started at one. I took one more warm-up vault, I got lost in the lights, I came down and shattered my left leg. I was a plate of spaghetti, the heat, I can still feel that heat resonating. It was terrible. And there was about maybe five or six coaches. That was my only shot maybe to impress somebody. I'm in a hospital. Everyone else is performing, right? So I simply walked down. I followed my brother to Kent State. Right? Again, God at work. He puts an older sibling in my life. 
For those who have a challenging soul right now at home and have siblings next to them, it's amazing what the siblings are taking in and the path that's being carved out or deviated to help the others coming behind or the ones that are ahead. It's, it's, it's no mistake. It's no accident. It was providential. It's happening. And it's going to end good, right? How long did they wander in the wilderness? Forty years. They're not still wandering. How long did it rain for Noah and the ark? Forty days and nights. It's not still raining, right? God starts something, he finishes something, and there's a purpose, and there's a place it's going. And it's all good. It's how we're handling it, how we see it, how encouraged can we be, how can we hang in there in the midst of something that seems so impossible. That's the hardest part right there. It brings you to your knees. It takes you to tears. Breaks your heart, breaks your spirit sometimes. Sometimes you question, why do I want to live? What's the point? I can't make a difference. I can't make an impact. In fact, maybe did I cause this problem? We start to blame ourselves and look back at what we should have or shouldn't have done. You know, was I a good example? Could I have been better? I follow my brother to Kent. I have one chance to compete. I'm humbled. I had one chance to impress the coach. I thought I was good enough to be in the starting lineup. This is why you're called a young adult. You haven't lived long enough to have experience and see mountaintops and valleys to understand decision-making. But coaches and people who are older to know the road ahead of you, they understand and they make wise choices. At the time, you may not agree with it, but he was right. My one chance to compete, I bombed. I was embarrassed. And when you're doing a routine in my sport, you're being judged, just like to some degree we are in this world by the secular viewpoint, and by our Heavenly Father. Are you obeying and trusting me? Are you following my commands? Now, you have free will to do whatever you want, and I'm not going to zap you if you don't, but there are some requirements that I expect of you if you want to follow me and be like me. Right? Judges have certain things they're looking for. We have referees in football and basketball. There are certain things you can and you can't do. Or same thing with rules and regulations for coaches in any of their sport. We teach how to play the game the right way. Does everybody do that? No. Do people cheat and break the rules and lie? Yes. But this is all temporal, right? This is all going somewhere that's going to be permanent, and we're going to be accountable for our decisions in the life that we had here. I determined after that embarrassing performance my freshman year, I never wanted to feel that way again. Changed my attitude, and I had a good work ethic, but I really saw what a Division I level athlete looked like and how they trained. That summer, I committed myself like nobody's business. I mean, I was obsessed, and I was just completely committed to it. Came back in as a sophomore, never lost a conference championship. Broke my brother's school records. He was 20 <coughs> times better than me. I can say that proudly here. He can't do anything about it. We're both old. He can't go back, right? <coughs> and I, I was so fortunate. I was elected team captain two years in a row. As a sophomore, I missed making team captain by one vote. I'm a sophomore. You've got juniors, seniors, uh, juniors and seniors ahead of you in a redshirt class. They saw the work ethic, and I was a team guy. You know, I love building people up. I love see, making a difference, right? And so it was an amazing journey, and I got to travel all over North America representing Kent State University, our institution, just as an individual. Our team wasn't very good. But if you could qualify for nationals as an individual. My junior year was at Nebraska Bob Devaney Center. My senior out at UCLA at Poly Pavilion. And you're representing everyone who came before you at Kent State University. And you're branding their name wherever you are. An amazing honor. And again, I think back to the turbulence I grew up in. The dark days. 
I didn't see that light. I didn't see this outcome. And this wasn't about me, but this was God using what's going on to do something in somebody's heart that's going to turn into something just amazing down the road. So I finished my degree, graduated. When you do well, sometimes your reputation precedes you. People know who you are. I was approached by the world's number one halftime act called the Bud Light Daredevils. This was a group of four guys who created an acrobatic slam dunk routine, would go to NBA and pro arenas all over North America and perform at a timeout and during the halftime of these venues. So the founder of that, Ty Cobb, no relation to the baseball player, just happens to be his name, he learned about me, approached me and said, hey, would you be interested in joining? And I'd started my master's degree. I'm like, hmm, make a living doing what I love to do and travel around the world or stay in school. <laughs> I didn't have to think very long about that, right? I could always come back to school, right? I mean, you're young once and you have one chance in life to live it and to do the things you, you know, blessed and, you know, talented enough to do. So um, I ended up performing in five world tours for the next five years. I went to places I couldn't pronounce. Uh, we had major Fortune 500 corporate sponsorship, Anheuser-Busch. Our shoe contract was between Nike, Reebok, and Converse. It rotated around. Uh, we did shows at Sold Out Rupp Arena, uh, shot free throws with Jack Nicholson at the LA Forum, uh, which was what it used to be before it is what it is today. Um, just met people, went places, did the World Expo in Brisbane, Australia. Um, here I am, a kid who grew up in a very broken, middle-class, poor home who witnessed bad things, prodigal, someone who was destroying our family, literally. It literally just created chaos. And how, how do you paint this picture? How do you write this story that this is how it turns out? Right? Very blessed. Very, very fortunate. And we were a faith-based organization, the Bud Light Daredevils. Ty Cobb is a very faith-based person. And uh, we prayed before practice. We prayed before performances. We prayed on the road. Uh, I wouldn't say that everyone there was a, a sold-out, full-hearted Christian. Uh, but you know what? John and I were talking before this meeting. You know, growing in faith is like planting a seed. Once it's planted, it's always there. The mission then is to water it every day. You know, bamboo shoots grow three feet down before they shoot up. And I think maybe our sons and daughters that are prodigals might be in that same boat sometimes. They hear you. They're growing. They hear it. They've been to church. They've heard the message. God's touched their heart. How dare we as parents think we love our children more than he does? That we're more concerned about our kids than the creator of our kids that he entrusted to us. How dare we think that way? He knows what's going on. He's not confused. Remember I shared Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are secrets the Lord God has not revealed to us. He's doing something. And it's not time to unveil that. And that's the hope and the courage we hang on to. Does it make it easier? No. D does it change or move the needle a whole lot? Sometimes not at all. Sometimes we think it's going the wrong way. Right? But we have to hang on to that anchor in Jesus. We have to. If we don't, there is no hope. There is no faith. And this is all just for God. <coughs> Right, So had an amazing experience with the Bud Light Daredevils. And what that, what that transitioned to was um, I just grew in my faith more and more. And I want to share a story with you. It's an amazing story. I hope you really enjoy this, and I'm going to break it down a little bit. Um, it's about Jesus, and it goes like this. So then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake and waves swept over the boat 
but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He then got up. He rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? That story's real. It took place on the Sea of Galilee, which technically is not a sea, it's a lake. Like Tiberias or like Kinneret. It goes by both those names. What's amazing about that lake, all of us right now live on a Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, 150 feet deep, and 680 feet below sea level. It is prime and ripe for an unexpected storm to come out of nowhere. Our lives are prime and ripe for an unexpected storm to come out of nowhere. All of us are on a Sea of Galilee. So go back for a second. A couple things. Jesus got into the boat. The <clears throat> disciples followed him. First clue. Follow Jesus. Suddenly, suddenly, unexpectedly, out of the blue, just imagine you're going to your lake house, you're going to your lake with your friends, or going to the beach, and it's beautiful, it's sunny, you have plans, and you got this great agenda rolled out, you're going to have a big time and a great time, and suddenly, out of the blue, not a storm, not a pop-up shower, a furious storm. Big difference there. It's raining here tonight for you on podcast here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's not furious, but it's raining. A furious storm. But Jesus was sleeping. We're a little bit like dogs. When it starts thundering and lightning, good grief, we'll shake, we'll hide, we'll take cover. We know we're okay, but it's still scary, right? And, and the master is sleeping. He's taking a nap. He's on the water. He's taking a nap. The disciples went and woke him. And his first response back to them. So first thing is, they realized they couldn't control the storm, but they knew who could, and they went and they woke Jesus. And Jesus replied, this reply is almost a little bit, um, I don't know, you might think condescending or rude, right? He goes, you of little faith, why are you afraid? Well, maybe Peter or John or somebody said, um, there are 20-foot waves coming over the bow. We're on water. It's unstable. The, the sails are being ripped and torn off. The oars are flying out of the locks. We don't have a clue. We can't stop this. We're going to die. We're going to sink. We're going to crash. Life is over. And Jesus' reply was, you of little faith. And I think about that. Think about the fact that what he's saying, if I could be so bold to try to interpret that, and I'm no expert by any stretch, but what I take away from that is like, if you're with me, there's nothing to fear. Even when you're in the middle of what appears to be death, a storm, 20-foot waves, a furious storm, 
that you were prepared for, that you didn't hunker down, that you didn't get ready for. You're unprepared. And here is a storm. And he's like, you have little faith. Meaning like whatever you're going through, it's almost like just sit down and almost enjoy it. Like, like this is on Jesus. I can't fix this. I can't do anything about this. I know who can. And I need to go to him and ask him for help. And he helps. The challenge is not when we always want it. It doesn't come in our time frame. It's always on his. And we don't understand some of his mysteries. But he's doing something behind the scene. He's doing something amazing. You might think like, you know, um, I have been praying. It's not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. What do you do when you're distraught and you're in despair and you feel helpless and hopeless? What do you do? You pray more. Right? Just like in basketball shooting a free throw, you bend your knees and you follow through. You get on your knees. An email, not email, right? Not snail mail, an email. And you just keep asking and begging. You don't bargain with them. You don't make deals with them. <laughs> That's not his business. That's the enemy's business. You just let them know. I understand you're in charge and I'm not. We need your help. Lord, please. And you just keep praying and praying and praying. You can't wear him out. You can't ask too much. And a lot of the times in situations like this, Jesus used my dad to help me grow. Maybe it wasn't about my dad. Maybe it wasn't about fixing him. Maybe it was about, I got him covered. I know what I'm doing. I know where we're going. But I want, look, you know, some kids around here grew up in a three-car garage. They have disposable income like more than most grown-up parents in North America. Uh, they drive amazing cars. They have access and privilege to anything and everything. And sometimes that's not always good, right? And sometimes God puts you in situations and circumstances where things are meek. And it's important to understand how valuable things are and how to appreciate them and how to grow and develop because of them and how to appreciate when blessings come. And he uses people to speak to other people, Bible, prayer, circumstances, and other people. And I think our Sea of Galilee, you know, we live in a dimensional world you know, 150 feet depth in a place that's 680 feet below sea level with the proper winds and conditions creates a furious storm. It's a small lake. And it, sometimes there are over 300 boats on that lake fishing, right? Jesus, you know, he wasn't physically on all of them. Maybe he was in some of their hearts, but the reality is he was on one boat when that storm hit. You know, what do the other people do? But the thing is, the disciples went to him and said, save us, we're going to drown. And then he took action. He got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. He'll rebuke that thing or that person or that addiction that's in that person's heart and tell it to get, beside, get behind him. He, he will work it out in his time when he has everything lined up the way he wants. It's hard, not easy. Um, 
I hope we all think about our own Sea of Galilee and when things look like a beautiful day and a nice lake and a good boat ride and sunny and fun and laughter and family, a sudden furious storm can come up. We need to be on guard and be praying and make sure that our lives are honoring our Heavenly Father, not ourselves. We have it backwards. Me first. Nope. Right? Jesus first. It's another amazing story he shares. As he was walking along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither the man nor the parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God could be visible through him. Do you ever think maybe your situation is because you did something wrong? We sinned. We weren't good. We didn't take him to church enough. We didn't communicate. We didn't use good language. We didn't really, we checked out. We got lazy. We got soft. We do that to ourselves because as humans, we want to fix stuff. We're creatures of fixing things and being in control of things and holding that steering wheel. And we want to get things right and make sure they align with our needs and our wishes and our views. And when the disciples asked him, who sinned? They assumed that someone did something wrong and they were being punished for their lifestyle and their behavior. And Jesus said, neither the man nor his parents sinned. There was no foul. There was no penalty flag, right? There was no penalty box. He did this so that God could work through him. And that story ends up by Jesus spits on some dirt and rubs it in his hands and puts it over his eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool of Shalom and he can see. And all the people are crazy. The Sadducees and Pharisees are like, you were blind, now you can see. How did this happen? I don't know, I was blind. I can see the guy, right? You know, and this goes on and on. It's kind of funny, that whole story is really good. That's in John, uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is, in, by the way, in Matthew, cha- Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 26. Um, So, two amazing stories about circumstances that were out of people's control. Jesus fixed them. You know, back in 1967, the very first Super Bowl that was ever played took place out in Los Angeles, California. The Green Bay Packers played the Kansas City Chiefs, and Green Bay won 35 to 10. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to guess that nobody in this audience here was at that game back in 1967. Pretty, Pretty safe guess. Maybe you on the podcast, maybe one of you were there, but chances are you probably weren't. How do you know Green Bay really won? Why do you believe it? Because somebody wrote a story because there were eyewitnesses there who did see it and who observed it and said for a fact, Green Bay beat Kansas City 35 to 10. We don't even research that. We just flat out believe it. It could be any talking head on TV, anyone who's a huge pro football fan. You go, okay. We don't go, how do you know? I want some proof. We just believe it, right? That's called faith, right? Believing what you can't see, being sure of what you hope for. Hebrews 11.1, right? We know that happened for a fact. You will find out if you research that the five most expensive autographs that were sold were the following. At number five, Jimi Hendrix's first contract auctioned off his autograph, $200,000, 200 k Number four, Babe Ruth, 
signed baseball, $388,375. 388375K. Number three, John Lennon's murderers signed LP. The person that murdered John Lennon, John Lennon had just signed it. The guy murdered him. Auctioned off for $525,000 or 525 k Number two, Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation sold for $3.7 million. 3.7 M. And number one, George Washington's Acts of Congress, $9.8 million. He signed the first page of the Acts of Congress, which consisted of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the first Congress. Those are some pretty big numbers, right? Top five purchased autographs out there. It's completely wrong because the number one most expensive autograph that ever took place was done by Jesus. So that your name, my name, your son's name, your daughter's name could be in the book of life. And he sold that for 10p. 10p. He lost 10 pints of blood when he was crucified on the cross for you and for me and for your challenge right now at home, for your Sea of Galilee, for your storm. He covered it. He doesn't forget. He didn't miss it. He, doesn't, he hasn't gone absent, doesn't realize what's going on in your family, in your life. He is vested more than any of us could ever be vested. He cares more than any of us could ever care. And he's at work now more than any of us could be at work. We have to continue to pray and thank him and understand there is a design. There is a purpose pitch here. There is a favorable outcome. He's for us. He loves us. He died for us. <clears throat> he doesn't make mistakes. We learn in the Bible that he takes naps on the boat, right? But the reality is he's still in charge. He's like, I could still take a nap and I could stop the storm if I wanted to, but let me get up and show you. They were blown away. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? He can handle anything we're going through. And maybe the question is, or his design is, can we handle it? And he's preparing us to handle it. That's his whole purpose. This might not be the biggest storm we see. I hope it is. <laughs> I, I pray that this will never be anything more serious or challenging in your life to deal with. But he can fix it, and he will, in his time, right? So I want to share two things with you, and then I'm going to close up. Um, when I work with um, the young adults I work with, before they transition from high school to college, I write them a letter, and I give them um, four things I want them to think about and to post somewhere as a reminder about the proper way to deal with college. But before I do that, um, uh, it's interesting. I was preparing for this message. And on that particular day, um, this is Walk With God. I'd encourage, if you don't have this, amazing. I, I mean, I've read this oh, every year. I should tell you my routine real quick. So I wake up and spend hours in Scripture and studying. Um, I have a routine. They'll tell you my kids. I have stacks of index cards. I have memorized Scripture. I, 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 I love it. I, I, it's, 
it's passion. I mean, I, if you can't tell, I mean, you're not, you're not awake. I mean, it's rich. It's why we're here. It's, you know, the whole point of the human race was procreation and illustration. He wanted to fill the earth, and he wanted us to, you know, to illustrate who he was, right? The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few, right? Share the gospel. Get out there. Be bold. Don't be afraid. We are. We're chickens. You know, we get around someone who talks dirty or somebody who seems more powerful or someone who might intimidate us or someone who might control a, a narrative or an outcome. And, we, you know, we sheepishly will go by. No. You know, share the truth. Truth is always timely. It applies today and in the future. It's connected to God's changeless character. Think of the centuries that have passed since scriptures have been written. Think of the countless hours spent studying every sentence of scripture. The Bible has stood the test of time because God is truth. You can count on his word to guide you. It's amazing. It's flat out amazing. So I have, I, I have like this office and all kinds of stuff that I enjoy. But as I was preparing to speak to you tonight, uh, on that particular day I read this. And I just want to read this to you. Um, because I think you'll find this um, supportive and helpful. I did. I sure did. And I hope you do too. So this is Walk with God. It was uh, January 10th. It says, inward, uh, patience is one of the hardest virtues, virtues for us to understand. We pray to an omnipotent God. We know he is able to help us at any moment. We know that he who defines himself as quote-unquote love and gave his son for us is not reluctant to help us. So when we ask such a God to intervene in our circumstances, why is there so often a delay? I'm like, I I'm preparing to speak at the pop meeting, I'm reading this going, oh my gosh, to your point, right? You, you open up today's meeting with your reading, and it was the prodigal son story. The same thing right here. God is always working. He's always aligning things to his glory. He goes on, nowhere in the Bible does God promise us instant answers to our prayers. His promises for answered prayer are amazing and reassuring, but none of them includes a timetable. He only assures us that he is never too late. Hang on to that. He always assures us he is never too late. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it's the description and definition of love. And I think you should stop after the first sentence. Love is patient. Everybody here patient? My hand's not up. I'm impatient at times, right? And I'll stop at the second one. Love is kind. Everybody here always kind, no matter what? He's working on us. Sanctification is taking place. He only assumes that he, uh, he only assures us that he is never too late. Yet, in our impatience, we don't want an answer that is simply not too late. We want an answer now. We have needs, and we don't understand why those needs must be prolonged. But God has his reasons. Perhaps our needs are being prolonged because... They are accomplishing something in us that nothing else will. Perhaps they're being prolonged because God is doing a necessary work in the life of someone else who is involved in our situation. Perhaps he is teaching us about prayer or perfecting our faith. Maybe he is even letting us identify with Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. It is, after all, his overarching purpose to conform us to the image of Christ. How can we be conformed if we have no identification with his pain? Spot on. 
It wraps up with this. Sometimes God will make it clear that our answer is delayed because the delay will further his work in our hearts or in another area. Sometimes he gives us no reason at all. The Christian's wise response in either case is to know that if we are waiting on God, there must be a very good reason. And if we wait in faith and expectancy, the wait will be amply rewarded. His timing is always perfect. He calmed the storm completely. He restored and healed the man's vision. He's no longer blind. My dad quit drinking, quit smoking. He answers prayer. He fixes things in his time. We have to be patient and prayerful and persistent. And when we are, and when it happens, the promises of what it will turn into will be amazing. And I love that. So real quick, let me go through these. These are really short, but these are some things that I've either written or read that really have captured my heart, that have pierced my heart, that have made me think and have helped me in my journey on my Sea of Galilee. And maybe if you like any of these, you can ask me. I'll repeat them again. You can put them in your smartphone, write them down, whatever you want to do. Um, First one just says delicate balance. We must maintain a delicate balance, trusting God as if everything depended on him while working as if everything depended on us. Showing off. Beware of showing off. If you are modest, people may not notice you at first, but they will respect you later. You can't have everything, but you can have anything. Deep. Change your thoughts, change your results. Accumulate. Don't accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. We criticize in others what we don't like about ourselves. Let that sink in for a second. We criticize in others what we don't like about ourselves. Insanity. Keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. Alcohol. It dulls the senses, limits clear judgment, lowers the capacity for control, destroys a person's efficiency. Behavior. We can't exchange good behavior in one area for bad behavior in another. How many people try that? Well, I was really good five out of the seven days, or I was really nice yesterday, and I get a pass today, right? Well, I was really kind, you know. Give me a pass. Give me a break. Doesn't work that way. God's volume. Make sure God's volume is louder than everyone else's. I tell kids I work with your friends, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, right? I win more because I do more. Life. Not a problem to be solved, but an adventure to be lived. Bond. The team won't bond till the parents do. Your family is the most important team you'll ever be a part of, bar none. We watch sports with a passion because we love them. We cheer for our team to win a national championship. Those teams make no difference in our lives except for our joy and entertainment. Our families are the most important team we'll ever be on. The question we ask ourselves is, are we on course to win a national championship? Who would be the MVP of my family? And my definition of MVP to the young adults I work with is this. Not someone who makes the most money or does the most laundry or cleans the house or does the most dishes. Somebody whose attitude and actions makes everybody else on the team better. They look for opportunities around the house to make a difference. In basketball, if there's a loose ball on the floor, you are supposed to dive and you know, scrape up your elbows and knees getting that loose ball. I ask kids, when you walk home and see shoes out of place that aren't yours, do you leave them there? Say, they're not mine, and wait for someone else to pick them up. See, an MVP at home looks for opportunities around the house to make a difference. 
Maybe you have a son or daughter in a challenging time right now and their siblings watching, and you've noticed the siblings are stepping up and contributing and helping because they realize we can't fix the issue that's really consuming our family. And they're getting a little bit better things, a little more independent, making their bed, cleaning their vanity, putting away their clothes in the drawer. Just saying, hey, mom, dad, can I help you? Hey, mom, dad, thank you for all you do for me. <coughs> we never lose. We either win or we learn. It's not the color of your skin. It's the condition of your heart. Kip, it's our youngest son's name. I love this. Came up with this. K-I-P, knowledge is power. Gloat, to feel or express great, often malicious, pleasure or self-satisfaction. Do you gloat when someone else is struggling? To gloat over another's misfortune is to make yourself the avenger and to put yourself in the place of God, who alone is the real judge of all the earth. Ralph Waldo Emerson, what lies before us and what lies behind us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Fury, ideas are peaceful, history is violent. For a reward to be a reward, it must somehow compensate for the sacrifice we made. Your reward's coming. You keep giving and giving and sacrificing. You keep listening, you keep praying, you keep crying. God sees, God knows, God's with you. It doesn't go unseen. It's coming. Confusion brews, when confusion brews, chaos ensues. I think we can all relate to that. Recipe, rob the recipe. Find out what works. Talk to others, be involved. Get in the body of church, communicate. Liars, you'll never know where you stand with a liar. Mm. You know, I think my dad probably told a lot of tall tales. There were times he'd be gone for three days. We didn't know where he was. I, I, I still don't. You know, he passed away a couple years ago. But, I, I mean, you know, he could say anything. Who would know? And you just never knew where you stood. Fact or fiction. Confidence versus insecurities. Confidence is silent. Insecurities are loud. I find young people in general, they're loud because they're insecure. Right? That's their mask. Right? confidence is silence your body is just a suitcase for your soul the gospel is an announcement not an argument the gospel is an, an announcement not an argument share it don't shove it Mark Twain it's better to remain silent to be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt <laughs> we can all take a cue from that, that was, that's awesome our attitudes color our whole personalities Mm, how's your attitude? What color are you? Three things we don't get back. Time, words, and opportunities. Diligence. I love diligence. Careful and persistent work or effort. Diligence doesn't come naturally for most people. It is a result of strong character. Aristotle. We are what we repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence is not an act but a habit. Alfred Adler, noted psychologist. It is the individual who's not interested in his fellow man that has the greatest difficulties in life and provides the greatest injury to others. It is, from such, it is among such individuals that all human failure springs. Fascinating. Wisdom. Wisdom is God's gift to us, but he gives it only to those who earnestly seek it. But because God's wisdom is hidden from the rebellious and foolish, it takes effort to find it and use it. He doesn't give it freely. You have to seek it. You have to come to him. He said, I'll give you free will. Live however you want. You want wisdom? Come to me. I love King Solomon. 
I've been reading the book of Proverbs on that date. Today is the 25th. Every day, I don't know how many years, 10, 15 years. I, I have the entire chapters memorized, some of them. If the wisest man in the world wrote a book about how to live your life right, what should we be reading every day? Sports Illustrated? Right? Time Magazine? People Magazine? Right? The wisest man. I pray for wisdom like Solomon, but not the end result of his life. <laughs> he couldn't even follow his own advice. Right? Fascinating. You should read the Bible. It's really good. Good stuff in there. God's work. Uh, we shouldn't seek honor for ourselves. It is better to quietly and faithfully accomplish the work God has given us as others notice the quality of our lives, then they will draw attention to us. There's a big difference between finishing and quitting. Finishing is stopping when the job is done. Quitting is stopping when you are done. Don't quit, parents. No matter how hard it seems. Too many people put up the white flag and surrender. I quit. I can't go anymore. I can't take this anymore. Finishing is stopping when the job is done. You will get their feet pointed in the right direction. They are going to become great ambassadors for Jesus. They are going to impact lives you haven't even met. You're going to have grandchildren. You're going to have in-law. You're going to have opportunities to advance the kingdom. And you're going to take this hard time in the story, and it's going to be an amazing testimony. And that's what you've got to hang on to and believe in. Every time you're in that point, of, I just want to let go. It's not worth it. He's destroying us. She's destroying us. An unhealthy pace leads to an unhealthy place. Mm. You get too stressed out. Jesus was sleeping. 20-foot waves. I wouldn't call that stress. He's taking a nap. They're on a sea, 150 feet deep. That boat tips over. I mean, he's Jesus, I'm sure. You know, he'll, he'll be okay, but he's taking a nap. He wasn't worried. When we worry, when we have an unhealthy pace, we end up in an unhealthy place, right? All the medicine, all the doctors, all the, all the acronyms for problems our kids have, ADHD, ADHD, da, da, da. I mean, look, all of us have ADD. I'm convinced of that. I don't care who you are. We all have some form of I'm not interested in that. That's a form of ADD, right? So here, take a bunch of pills. No, that's okay. You don't have to go that path. Find a way to solve it. A one-hour workout is 4% of your day. Let me repeat that. One-hour workout is 4% of your day. Create healthy habits, not restrictions. Oh, I'm going to quit eating this. I'm going to quit eating this. I'm gonna get... That's a restriction. Better to create a healthy habit. I'm going to eat more fruits and vegetables, right? I love some George Patton. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Men in condition do not tire. Love that. <clears throat> Sometimes it's not what you accomplish. It's what you overcome. When this storm is calm completely and you persevere and you overcame, I mean, it's going to be amazing. Dale Carney, big fan of his. Only one way to get the best of an argument. Listen carefully. Avoid it. Really good advice. Where there's ignorance and rejection of God, crime and sin run wild. Lack of discipline puts parents' love in question because it shows a lack of concern for the character development of their children. Disciplining children averts long-range disaster. I don't know if there's a parent I haven't met that if they could go back in time, now they're older and wiser, see life more panoramically, 
that would have been a better parent the second time around. Because we all make mistakes. These are imperfect humans that we're responsible for as imperfect people. And we're supposed to get them guided, focused, and directed in a path that's perfect. It's impossible. It's not this foreign land that we live in. That's in the next one. That's in heaven. Our job is to point them to Jesus and to show the grace and the mercy, to have discipline. You know, discipline sounds negative to a lot of people because a lot of disciplinarians are not nice. God is a source of discipline. He's love. His discipline, his, it's love. That's what discipline is. You can tell the size of the man by the size of the things that bothers him. Wow. What bothers you? Love this. The most important thing you can learn is personal responsibility. Bad things happen. It's your job to overcome them. Love is often expressed the most to those who deserve it the least. The way people treat you reflects how they feel about themselves. Stop taking everything so personally. That's their problem. But they want you to burden their problem. The way people treat you reflects how they feel about themselves. Stop taking things so personally. Even when they call you out and say, you're the reason. The same power that rolled the stone away lives inside of you today if you're a believer. Winston Churchill, the pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Encouragement is oxygen to the soul. Temporary efforts for permanent results. The words listen contain the same letters as the words silent. Check it out. Go home and look at that. L-I-S-T-E-N-S-I-L-E-N-T. He's right. Satan says, look at your sin. God, said, God says, look at my son. Muhammad Ali, the man who views his life at 50 the same way he did at 20, has wasted 30 years of his life. Failure lingers when we make excuses and point fingers. Sometimes being a champion doesn't mean you're standing on the top of the podium. BAM, acronym, B-A-M, by any means. With expectations come disappointments. You have some expectations that aren't being met right now in some of your challenges. And when they're not met, we feel disappointed. We feel let down. We feel like failures as parents, and we're not. I don't know a parent who's not doing the best they can to give their son and daughter the best life and direction possible. And once you've done that, once you've shared the good news, and you continue to reinforce and show a loving relationship, it eventually is going to grow like that bamboo shoot. You keep watering that seed, you keep watering that seed, you keep watering that seed. That's a creation from God. He entrusted you, and he goes, I know you can make this right. Keep seeking me, because I'll keep feeding you, and you keep watering. With expectations come disappointments. Mopping the floor without fixing the leak. This is the parent who just covers up all the problems, but doesn't go fix the problem. Be a fountain, not a drain. Nobody can argue with what happened to you. A winner has something to say. A loser has to say something. Hmm. They say if you have to resort to violence, you've already lost. Be a joy, not a jerk. Henry Ford, if there's one secret to success, it lies in the ability to get the other person's point of view and see things from the other person's angle as well as from your own. Be a great listener. Listen, watch, observe, let them speak. Let them, let them decompress. 
Let them share. It's nice to be important. It's more important to be nice. The Puritans had a saying, the same sun hardens the clay and melts the ice. Love this here. Givers have to learn to set limits because takers don't have any. I don't see anybody putting this in their notes. Come on. The craving to be appreciated. I think that is what is screaming at us. We, we are made in God's image, and he is a jealous God. He wants attention. If we're made in his image, we seek a very similar feel. The craving to be appreciated. And it's not being appreciated because you accomplish something. It's being appreciated because we recognize an effort or a change or an improvement or a growth point. You know, when you set the bar too high that's unobtainable, that's going to be failure 10 out of 10 times. Celebrate the little things. Celebrate the quiz. Celebrate the bed being made. Celebrate they said thank you. Celebrate they make eye contact. Celebrate they played only you know, two hours of video games, not five. I mean, I don't know. Find something. Chuck Knoll, love this. Stubbornness is a future, is a virtue, if you're right. No is a special kind of hug. Every day is fourth and inches. A lot of people can relate to this. I wasn't one who saw the light. I had to feel the heat. That might be your son or daughter story one day. I, I had to go through intense pressure. I had to go through the crucible. I had to go through the furnace. I had to be refined. I, I, I was a different project for God. And that's okay because God's projects are perfect. Zig Ziglar. One of the hardest decisions you'll ever face in life is choosing whether to walk away or try harder. The person with no purpose in life is simple-minded. Without aim or direction, an empty life is unstable, vulnerable to many temptations. The glitter of the world is tiny and temporal. Sir Walter Scott, what a tangled web we weave when at first we practice to deceive can't fix it feature it now i don't think that applies necessarily to <laughs> you know we're, we're not going to celebrate bad decision making right but sometimes there are ways to look at something and say how can we channel this into a positive constructive avenue if you can't fix it feature it how can we take this aggression how can we take these feelings how can we take these emotions and plug them into something that could be fruit bearing and productive your beliefs don't make you a better person your behavior does you can tell me all you believe all you want I'm going to see how you act. Don't let a candle of sexual sin become an all-consuming bonfire in your life. Our porn problem, our addiction to porn, <coughs> sexual promiscuity, uh, sex trafficking, out of control. It, it's, I, I, it's amazing in the world we live in and the resources we have and the people that believe that, that this happens. I, it's, I, guess, I don't, but it starts with a candle of sexual sin. Comes an all-consuming bonfire in life. The groundwork for all happiness is in good health. Keep taking care of you in spite of what's going on around you. If you're not strong and healthy, John and I talked before this meeting. He said, how old are you, Mike? I'm not going to tell the people on the podcast. I said, how old are you? He told me his age. I'm not going to tell you that one either on the podcast. But John and I are like brothers. We're like twins. We're cut from the same cloth. We still work out every day. We're old. I'll just tell you that, podcast world. We're old. But he's fit. You should see him. I wish you could see him. I wish you could post a picture of him. 
He's fit. He gets up CrossFit. He works out. He takes care of himself. You know why? So he can take care of others. He's an ambassador to Christ. And all of us can be that, and all of us should be that. Jealousy is a tribute that mediocrity pays to greatness. The athlete who thinks, who assesses a situation and plans strategies, has an advantage over a physically stronger and unthinking opponent. And wisdom, not muscle, is certainly why God put people in charge of the animal kingdom. Wisdom, not muscle. We live in a big man's world, don't we? Bigger's better. Look at me. Really? How are you going to make the world better? Delaying to do good is inconsiderate and unfair, whether it is repaying a loan, returning a tool, or fulfilling a promise. Withholding destroys trust and creates a great inconvenience. So be as eager to do good as you are to have good done to you. I'm almost done. When will it ever be enough? Isn't that a question you probably ask yourself every night? When will it ever be enough? Money, resources, love, attention, lectures, meetings, appointments, doctors, medications. When will it ever be enough? There's a difference between finishing and quitting. Finishing is stopping when the job is done. Quitting is stopping when you're done. Don't quit. Character. We want a character player, not a player that's a character. A parent is only as happy as their saddest child. When you pray for the rain, you have to deal with the mud too. Each decision you make to obey God's word will bring a greater sense of, will bring a greater sense of order to your life. Be obedient. You either get bitter or better. Have the flexibility of a slinky. Steve Nash, MVP of the NBA, diminutive white guard, doesn't fit the prototype to get that kind of a word on her. He said, if everyone worked as hard as I did, I'd have been out of a job. Love that. Love that. Prudent versus insecure. Prudent people have a quiet confidence. Insecure and uncertain people feel the need to prove themselves. You ever talk to someone that got the one-up story on you? You tell them something, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you what happened to me. I'm like, that's great. But this is where everyone doesn't have common sense. You know, read the audience. Let the person, if they want to tell you a story, you don't have to up it. You don't have to trump it. You don't have to outdo it. And sometimes kids who are insecure feel like, i got to be better. Well, let me tell you what I did. You're okay. Live on your knees or die on your feet. Almost done. Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Moral rot contaminates the entire nation. A life of pride and abuse of others often begins with a lack of appreciation for one's parents. The butterfly effect. Tiny differences, uh, tiny differences in input can quickly become overwhelming differences in output. A little bit every day. Inch by inch is a cinch. Yard by yard, it's hard. A little bit every day. You be the example you want your prodigal to become. You don't lower yourself to their level and get into a sparring match with them you show them what it looks like that's what jesus did he goes i'm going to come down and spend 30 years three in ministry and i'm going to exemplify the virtues and values that i want you to possess and emulate and then i want you to be that for everyone i entrust to you and that you cross paths with is it easy no is it worth it yes every day we should try when people are talking about your potential you're wasting an opportunity be good. They can't ignore you. 
Laziness is more dangerous than a prowling lion. The less you do, the less you want to do, the more useless you become. Love this one. False masculinity, athletic ability, sexual conquest, economic success. Oh, I'm a man. I got lots of women, lots of money, successful in athletic. False masculinity, athletic ability, sexual conquest, economic success. Sports is an amazing microcosm of life, just like education and families that God created for us to learn. He sent his son, the perfect example who never sinned. He wrote a book, an instruction manual, how to run our lives right. We don't read it. We don't listen. We don't follow the son. He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll create education. I'll create sports. I'll create families. The same dynamics that work in my kingdom. I want to try to get to my people as many ways as possible. And sports is one of the greatest vehicles out there. Unfortunately, false masculinity prevails. Listen to them. If you want to know what's out of a man's heart, listen to what comes out of his mouth. Listen to some of the interviews and what they strive for, what's important to them, and what they value in their lifestyle. And we have so many young men, young kids, children who emulate and make them their heroes and their idols. It's toxic. It's sad. You know, we can fix it. Bill Russell, the only people not making mistakes are the ones not in the game. And the last one, a bad shot is the first pass to your opponent's fast break. I love basketball. I love all sports. Um, Anyhow, I just thought I would share those with you. I hope you enjoyed those. There's a couple nuggets of knowledge. Let me close with this because we'll wrap it up. It's just about 8.30. So I mentioned to you that I I share with the seniors that are transitioning to college. Um, I write them a letter, but there's four key points to it, and uh, they're four scriptures. Uh, But let me just tell you what it says. It says, stay plugged in, find the way out. Uh, Let me back up. Um, Don't give in. Find the way out. Stay plugged in. Be one of the few. And this is where that comes from. Proverbs 1.10 says this. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in. You know, college is Satan's playground to some extent. A lot of temptation, a lot of freedom, right? No rules, restrictions, no parents, no guidance, direction, you know. Rules are made to be broken mindsets, right? My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in. The second one, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Find the way out. He's not going to put you in a tempestuous situation where there's no exit door. You're stuck. You have to conform to sin. He creates an out in every one of our lives for whatever sin-filled environment we're in. We have, to find, we have to use the wisdom. We have to find the way out. So I tell kids, you find yourself in a compromised situation in college, even in high school these days. Are you kidding me? Middle school these days. Some of the stuff I had going on in middle school, nauseating, sad, and te- terrible. The, 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 the sex, all of it, is, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. The drugs, all of it, right? So do not give in. Find the way out. Stay plugged in. John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Stay plugged in to him, to Jesus. And the last one, be one of the few. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And very few find it. Be one of the few.
be one of the few. We need more good men, more good women, more good parents, more good leaders in our society. And in spite of where you are, I just want to encourage you as parents, don't give up. Hang in there. This is temporal. God's in charge. This is a purpose pitch. It's designed for a reason. He's doing a good work. And one day we're going to look on the other side of it and just realize, I'm so glad I hung in there. You're going to end up with a son or daughter or someone you care so much about that turns into an amazing soul. It's going to impact the kingdom and be so grateful for your love and your understanding and your patience. And that's what we have to hang on to. Because if we don't, what else do we have? Right? In this broken, fallen, sin-stained world, this is what we have to do. We have to fight the good fight as the band Triumph sings. Right? So I want to thank you for your time. Let me close us in prayer, and then I'm open for any questions you might have. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, I can't thank you enough that you have put on John and Ferris' heart to start an organization to help facilitate and deal with prodigal children. The fact that they answered your call and they're honoring and serving you is this kingdom work. I pray that you would continue to bless them and cover them and watch over them, and their influence in this program would impact the lives of so many. Uh, We're so grateful that we live in a country where we can share you, Jesus, and talk about you, and that um, we have the resources and the opportunities to just to shine a light on who you are and what you've done, and that you are the reason we are here. Um, Thank you so much for the parents who are here and for those that are struggling who are on a Sea of Galilee right now in the middle of a furious storm. I just pray that you would hear their prayers. You would hear their hearts. You know exactly what's going on. You know the problems before they even pray to you. I pray that you would speak to them in a way that helps them to understand what you're trying to achieve or what they need to do to help this journey they're in. Lord, I pray that we would just have open minds and open hearts and we just continue to be thankful for you in spite of the hard times that we deal with. I say all these things and I pray all these things in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. You're so welcome.